0: It's worrying, to me, some of the trends that are emerging in the world today, you know, whether it's, you know, life on social media, Instagrammers who, you know, put elaborate, you know, meals in, in an Instagram picture. It looks beautiful. And then you get a lot of people attempting to make their own raw meals and they follow that and their pets just diarrhea all over the place or, you know, or are fed inappropriately or even in some cases can kill their pets. Yeah, You know, um, that's very worrying for me. I see a lot of worrying trends that BombBomb has to uh, go against. But for me, this is life, and this is my life mission.
1: Hi, my name is Kai Chan, a financial consultant, creator, and your host of The Creative Heart Show. In today's episode, I chat with Jason Wang, founder of BombBomb, which is a pet nutrition company that individualizes fresh meals for the furry little ones. We talked about the importance of having an inquisitive mind, finding your life's true calling that's beyond dollars, and the story of his man's best friend, QB the Shiba Inu pet lovers out there, this is for you. Enjoy the show. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode, episode 4 of the Creative Heart Show. Uh, Today we have a very special guest whom I, through my good friends Dorothy and Vincent who are also behind the camera today <laughs> got to know. Uh, his name is Jason Wang yes. from bomb bomb. Uh, bomb bomb is a fresh meals, uh, like pet nutrition, individualized for pets, mm-hmm. that's right, company. I uh, will let him uh, talk a bit more later on but uh, yeah, I'm very excited to talk to him because uh, primarily if you guys, uh, those of our friends who already know, uh, Fiona and I are very very into Shiba Inu and he is The dog father, (laughs) oh god, proud father of two uh, Shiba Inus. They are QB and Hanako. Very excited to actually meet them someday.
0: Yeah, for sure, (laughs) you will definitely get the chance. (laughs) Yes,
1: Uh. bomb bomb. So like pet nutrition company. That means fresh meals individually for pets. uh, That's right. The way I imagine it is like a meal prep for instead of athletes, it's for pets. Am I correct?
0: Something like that. Yeah, I would say so, but I think for pets, it requires uh, uh, a greater degree of, of uh, calculation. Okay. The reason is because humans are omnivores, so actually we can be slightly more forgiving in what we intake, you know, or ingest, whereas for pets, actually because they're less evolved and, uh, you know, they actually have more specific requirements, mm-hmm. It is very important to balance it correctly, mm-hmm. but more importantly, if let's say us as the owner we see the dog is having diarrhea yeah. or like loose poo or is not pooing properly yeah. uh, or is even you know being fussy and not eating the food, um, the 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 pet is not going to have the chance to get the right nutrition, mm-hmm. right? So it's also a lot about educating owners. That's why we would term ourselves a pet nutrition company rather than just a meal prep company because. Yeah part of what we do is education I see. and okay. also uh, changing the way that people perceive pet food mm. right. Uh, pet food shouldn't be something that is in a biscuit form eaten day in day out for yep. the rest of their lives. It should be you know covering a whole range of nutrition not just uh, you know something that's homogenous and yes. processed. That's something that I want you to go very deep in um, this,
1: I think the second part of the right. podcast later on. Okay. Um, but first and foremost because, what I'm actually trying to do here at The Creative Heart, uh, at least for this podcast, um, is that there, there, there are basically two main parts of the question bubble that I'm actually trying to pop. Mm-hmm. The first part being um, because I feel that, um, the, well, essentially at, 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 at The Creative Heart, what I'm trying to figure out uh, along with the audience is, to, is what it means to live a fulfilling life and what it takes to actually live a fulfilling life doing basically what you love to do. Yeah. So, um, and, and I think to have a very solid context on this, right, because of your vast experience in the finance space uh, previously, yeah. right, uh, I think that will actually be a very key, uh, you know, perspective that you can actually offer to us and um, pro- sure. possibly like a piece of a valuable puzzle mm. for the audience to, you know, to, yeah. to, to, to take away from. So uh, just want you to take us back to the years before the founding of BombBomb. How far further?
0: back do you want to go? I have um, many years. <laughs> yeah, well, I have a lot of dark past. No, I'm just <laughs> so, I think, um, well, I'm pretty unconventional in the way that even I entered finance. Yes. Because I graduated during the time of the dot com bubble burst. Okay. Uh, uh, and uh, obviously, even if you had wanted to become a banker during that period, yes. it was very difficult to find jobs. You know, banks were shedding tens of thousands of jobs okay. around the world. So, I I think like everyone else, you know, from the time they were young to, you know, even to their 40s or middle age, people are trying to find out what it is that they really, really love to do. Mm -hmm. And if I rewind back, this is why I said I have a really, really long past in asking myself this question. Uh, I remember when I was really young, like maybe, you know, in my early teens, I would follow my mum to the okay. stock market in oh. KL okay and she would go there sit with her at Mysia, buy stocks and shares and I'd see yeah. these flashing boards of you know share prices you know they're going up and down prices and yeah. there's people betting like a casino on you know uh, oh, wow. you know whether things were going up or down and I asked my mum at that time mum how do you decide what to buy and what yes. to sell yeah and I was expecting this epiphany or this Enlightenment from her and she simply said to me if it goes up you buy it if it goes down you sell it first (laughs) So that didn't really help. I was left scratching my head for the longest time and I think some of the uh, Turning points in life can be triggered by the simplest uh, Queries in your mind right or the simplest thirst for knowledge and Believe it or not how I got into finance or what really triggered me to want to find out more was trying to understand what my mom said. Okay. Like, what makes a share go up? Yeah. What is a share? You know, and uh, why are people buying up, you know, things up and down in a frenzy? And, you know, I used to help her collect the little invoices that she had, you know, before the days of computerized and electronic trading. And, you know, we count up, you know, the P&Ls that yeah. she would make or yeah. lose. And uh, I just found that terribly fascinating, okay. you know. And uh, I wanted to find out more about, you know, what made things tick. And I, I think exactly. this is huge relevance to how I came to Bomb today, okay. uh, because I think in whatever you do in life, you have to find out what makes something tick, Yes. right? So uh, rewinding back in those days, how I got into finance was- Were you,
1: were you so, sorry yeah. to interrupt, yeah. were you
0: as a child uh, someone who's
1: inquisitive in nature in that sense, that you Very. always try to figure out- Probably one of those annoying-
0: Kids that are okay. always like, why this, why that. Okay. Uh, I'd love to take things apart, okay. put it back together. Uh, but I was, I wasn't one of these, um, you know, uh, you know, very gregarious kids, or you know, I like to hang out in big groups. Mm-hmm. I was a bit more of a loner, so I was more introspective, and I think, uh, you know, I, and my childhood formed very much the basis of what I am today. Uh, Except that when you grow up, you, you lose yourself very much in, you know, the, the whole prospect of getting good grades, making good money,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, making sure that you go to the right institutions for education, for employment.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You, you lose yourself in all of that. And when I was a kid, I always remembered when people asked me what is it I wanted to do, and this is when you're in primary school and, you know, you, you just learn how to talk. Okay. I said, I want to be a marine biologist. Oh. You know and I was fascinated with the sea I was fascinated with animals I grew up with 12 dogs right and in Kale. and uh, every day every day I came home the first thing I would do is I would greet my dogs my dogs would greet me and I would love you know playing with them trying to imaginary like trying to communicate with them okay. trying to understand what goes through their mind what makes them tick Do you have a big family? Uh, well, we lived, yes, I mean, we lived with my dad's side of the family, not divorced, but, you know, we, uh, my mum moved from Singapore to uh, Malaysia. And, and we lived a there. lot of responsibility. Yeah, well, in Malaysia, there's a lot of land, right? Land <laughs> of okay. cheap. So, uh, we had a lot of dogs, we had Jack Russells, we had uh, oh. uh, German Shepherds, we had mongrels, okay. uh, yeah, a whole range. So. You know, they really had the full run of the house. Mm. You know, they had a big garden to run around in, um, and I'll tell you a little interesting story later about yes. you know the challenges of starting Bomb and how if you're honest with yourself from the beginning about what you want to do in life, mm-hmm. you will get there faster. You will right. succeed faster. Right. I feel, but it is along the path of life that because there's so many forces pulling you back and forth, like you know practical considerations. Like right. I said money and just to make a living yeah you kind of have to make little sacrifices in order to just get by on a daily basis i see uh but i don't think you just got by you had a very reputable no well actually in, in, in finance well that's the thing a lot of people didn't know that i wasn't you know one of these brainy academic students yes i i you know i I wasn't a terribly studious person okay but i was always a person that learned by doing on the job and uh i when i graduated from university Mm. i found it extremely hard to get a first job Mm. you know i must have applied to at least 200 companies and out of 200 applications i maybe only got accepted for five you know i came from you know a good university i was from the london school of economics yeah uh, my grades were very average, but you know, um, I had a lot of internship experience, on-the-job experience. That's me. I'm more of a doer rather than exam-based. Right. And um, uh, having said that, in my school life, earlier school life, primary and secondary, I was very science-based. Oh. So already I was starting to lose my way, okay. and that's my point. You know, from childhood, I always said I wanted to be marine marine, uh, I marine that, biologist. Right. I loved animals. Um, I grew up trying to understand dogs and I thought that I understood them better than other people and along the way, you know, I kind of got diverted trying to find out about finance Mm. Uh, but I felt that if I had actually stuck to a science-based degree because um, I had actually been a very good chemistry student. You know, I, I think I scored one of the highest scores in the country okay. for genetics and biochemistry. Wow. You know, so I really knew that I had a, a leaning towards that area of science. Right. But I never thought that I could make a living from something like that. I see. You know, in in, in well, when I graduated or when I was going through secondary school even, there's no one to tell you uh, definitively, sense. you know, you know, chase your dreams, etc. And uh, you don't have to worry about money. Money will come later. There was no, there was no like, uh, you know, Steve Jobs at that time. I think that makes sense because like growing up from Malaysia, uh,
1: our generation or or, uh, the, you know, one or two generations like uh, around our circle, Mm. most of our parents would like, I don't know, maybe as for my parents, they always tell me that um, look for something that you kind like kind of there is actually Job opportunities, job perspectives, right. yeah, yeah, prospects, that kind of thing. Down the yeah, so was that something that you faced?
0: Yeah, like, I mean, that? I mean, we always joke, you know, Chinese kids and whatnot. The, the parents wanted to work for a big prestigious institution yeah. or a big yeah. bank, you know, bragging rights for the parents. Yeah, uh, and you know, they're always comparing you. You know, I had two elder siblings. Uh, you know, both of them were scholars. You know, they're extremely clever okay. uh, people. And, you know, that pressure to be compared was always there. Right. You know, and you always wanted to prove to your parents that, you know, you are, you're capable. Yeah. So I think a lot of that sort of uh, pressure diluted down your own or my own uh, desires, you know, and after a while you kind of lose yourself, and you can't convince yourself this is the path I want to take. I see. And when I graduated, actually, I found it very hard to get a job in finance. Okay. Because I wasn't a first-class student, you know, because I wasn't in from Oxford Cambridge. Or... In London, okay, right. I, I was focusing on the London market. Okay. So actually, you know, during that time, uh, I did part-time jobs just to get by. I even did a secretarial job just okay. to get by while I was applying for jobs. This I was... was
1: in which year? Around,
0: uh, around two thousand. Two thousand. Yeah. yeah. So I actually. Uh, you know, I, being very proud, and I didn't want to be dependent on my parents. Mm. I took up part-time jobs, even as a secretary, mm. or even like just doing admin work, yeah. you know, being paid by the hour for, you know, doing odd jobs here and there. Yes, And I never gave up on that dream of wanting to be a trader, a financial trader, mm. of trying to find out why those prices went up and down. So yes. I carried a lot of that through in my career, and I, I was very focused all the time on, what i wanted to learn Mm. right so and i think that's the important thing that in whatever job i did i took away something Mm. that could be taken to the next job and even though you know fast forwarding the leap from finance to pet nutrition sounds huge yes actually there's a lot of parallels which i will discuss later um in in what i brought forward from those skill sets into this pioneering area uh i mean in the area of pet nutrition there's really Nothing like what we do yes. uh, in the way that we construct diets, the way we think about diets. But I think it sometimes requires a fresh perspective mm. and someone brave enough to stick their head out and say, "This is what needs to be done." Mm.
2: Uh,
0: but I'll come to that later. I yeah. think going back to you know the time I graduated, I took a very roundabout route. I, you know, I I I was in you know semiconductors for a while. I just had to make okay. ends meet. Okay. You know, so. I could look at a microchip and look at the part number and tell you exactly, you know, what that part does, etc. And it was such a roundabout route. But eventually, I got into an asset management company. Yes. And that's when my research career started, you I know, see. in researching companies that did biochemicals, in uh, pharmaceuticals, in commodities, in, uh, you know, all the um, the hard industries, we call it, you know. The and bricks this was mortar. during a
1: part of time when you were still in London?
0: Yeah, so <clears throat> I spent... Uh, close to 20 years in London, oh, you know, okay. schooling, uh, working, and uh, I finally I moved back to Singapore. Uh, I think it was 2007, just before the crisis. Yeah, I
1: see. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah, it was just before the 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 07, 08 crisis. Oh eight, yeah. And then you got into finance during that point of time.
0: No, no, I was in finance uh, from 2003. Actually, I was in, I was already working for an asset management company. So while I was in university, I I was already doing a part-time job with an asset management firm, quite a large asset management firm. So while I was in university, I was already working. Like I said, I'm always better at doing rather than, you know, exam-based. And I always found that more valuable in life. And especially in the area of finance, there is no exam or degree or course that can teach you how to trade mm. or that can teach you how to you know look at a company and decide whether it's worth buying or worth selling. You mm. just have to get stuck in you know into a job and ask a lot of tough questions you know and I think that formed very much the basis of who I am today that you should never just take things as gospel I see. and in the era of pet nutrition there's a lot of literature out there, but a lot of that literature is on the on the net is written by amateurs or people who are just speaking from self-experience, but there's no real substance behind what they're saying.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think uh, having the ability to challenge those conventional wisdom is really uh, an uphill struggle at times. Mm. You need to have the academic backing yourself in order to challenge those traditional ideas. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think that's that's the key in, in in everything you do. You know, whether you're entering a new industry or not, like, for example, when I was in semiconductors, um, it has nothing to do with finance, it has nothing to do with pet nutrition. From that, I learned, you know, team working, I learned how to use Excel, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I learned how to, uh, you know, relationship management, yes. you know, and I was very young, you know, I was just out of university at that time. And, you know, when I started off, working in asset management and research, you know, it taught me how to deep dive Mm -hmm. You know ask questions behind the questions and uh, Making judgments or decisions Mm -hmm. Um, and learning that Everything that we read or do is extremely fallible. Mm. You know, you could be the smartest guy in finance You could have the best theories out there and you can still lose money You know, so I think it it kept me very grounded in a way in finance. You work with some really brilliantly uh, Some brilliant minds you work with you know very successful people and you work with very um misinformed people mm-hmm. and because the industry is so heterogeneous uh you really have to differentiate yourself in a way but also you have to cut through the smoke right and i think that's another thing that i was taught that you know you have to be able to differentiate what is true and what is rubbish right. out there um, that's a really valuable skill set. And I feel that a lot of people nowadays, they take things as gospel. Just Mm -hmm. because it's in a textbook means it's true. And life is really not like that. Mm -hmm. And I would say that 10% of what I learned in university isn't even applied in my daily work today. So it's entirely uh, entirely feasible that, you know, someone like Steve Jobs or Bill Gates, dropouts from university, can, you know, change the world. In, in a very, very big way, and not complete university. Makes a lot of sense, but ha- yeah, I just want to actually
1: uh, ask you, like this this part of the personality of yours, mm. do you realise it from very, very young, like in secondary school? No, or were you, do, or do you think looking back you were being put in a position whereby such qualities like was encouraged and, and, and that's why you realise it? Right? No,
0: actually on the contrary, I felt that was an uphill struggle the whole way. So okay. it wasn't until I graduated and, you know, you expect that when you graduate, fine, you're going to get a job and, you know, things are going to uh, really go your way in life, mm. but there is nothing. You graduate, you get your degree, and then you have to find a job.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Then life really starts. You know, I, was, you, I always had this romantic view that, you know, your parents are always gearing you up to like, go to the best school, yeah. get the best grades, and then when you get it, it sorts you for life. Mm-hmm. But then when you get there, it's like, oh, another new battle begins. You know, so I think one of the turning points for me, you know, I, I, I talked to career people. I, I was constantly asking people, do you like your job? What does it involve on a day-to-day basis? I just so wanted to find out more. Answers, yeah. But you know what was the most poignant thing that I ever heard in my life was after I graduated and I wasn't entirely satisfied with, you know, my performance or, you know, I didn't feel that I'd learnt, you know, really what I wanted to in life. I see. Uh, And even after completing an economics degree, I still didn't fully understand capital market theory in terms of what makes price go up and down. But after I graduated, my dad just simply said to me, Jason, the world is your oyster. And I sat there and I was like, holy shit, he's right. You know, I I don't have to do economics. Mm -hmm. I don't have to do, you know, banking or whatever. You don't have to limit yourself. I don't have to limit myself. And I will always remember that. Uh, So I think you know, you, you only apply very little of what you learn at university. I understood that university is more of a way of life, it's more of a discipline, rather than the content that you actually learn,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? Um, real life is highly illogical. It can't be put down to theory. As they say in finance, you know, markets can stay irrational longer than you can stay liquid. You know, in other words, you can have the best thought out theory, it can make perfect mathematical sense, yeah but because markets are dictated by uh, human beings who are emotional, Mm -hmm. irrational, illogical, prices can move against you. A lot of variables. Yeah, and it's up to you whether you wanna lean against that illogical price move or if you wanna just cut loss. And that determines whether you're gonna be a good trader or a bad trader. So yeah, somehow in, in my journey, I did finally answer my own question, like what makes prices go up and down? Right. And, uh, and that and that journey actually culminated in you yeah, founding one of the... It was not an immediate epiphany. It was right. something very gradual. And coming back to your question, do I think that uh, this quality was something I realised early on? No, it wasn't. It was a very painful, soul-searching, uphill struggle for me to find out who I really was, what I loved doing. Now, obviously, every path will be different for everyone. Uh, I was always geared on, you know, being the best trader in the world, I wanted to, you know, be an investment specialist. Um, and you did just that. I, I don't think anyone could say that they're an investment specialist. Right. I really don't think so. I, I, you know, even someone like George Soros or uh, some of the most reputed traders in the world, we are nervous every day. The world changes every day.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, the way that markets move changes every day. Everyone makes losses, right? And as we say in trading, as long as you're winning more than 50% of the time, mm-hmm. which sounds like an awful ratio, mm-hmm. but if you're winning more than 50% of the time, you'll make money. But the thing is, for the times that you're losing money, you just have to make sure your losses are smaller than your gains, makes sense. right? Uh, so it was a very humbling experience. You know, I thought that you know, I was maybe in you know, a reasonably educated person, an academic to some degree, but when you come into finance, you meet really, really brilliant people, Mm -hmm. you are extremely humbled. And when you put your own theories and hard work behind investing and you still get it wrong, it's extremely humbling. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And I think that quality feeds through into, you know, where pet nutrition is today. Um, There's a lot of inefficiencies in the pet nutrition market. A lot of unquestioned uh, traditions that people don't realize they're actually hurting their pets. Uh, when they're doing something. So this is the part where
1: I want to uh, start going into uh, Bomb. Bomb. Mm. because I, you know, the whole time I was actually researching about Jason, um, I was oh, trying yeah? to connect the pieces like, you know, he has such a reputable career, uh, founding one well, of the asset management company and then went on to be a CEO of an investment company right. based in Singapore. How that part of his story made sense to leading up to the founding of Bomb. Bomb. And then you were talking about the experiences, that you, you know, humbling experiences that you actually got from the finance uh, space. Yeah. Um, that I, I think there is a very interesting story there that I mm. think would be very valuable. Um, I, I, I would like to actually know at this point in time, other than this experience, can you dive in a little bit in terms of what actually you think was the biggest lesson or like contributed to your path of like leading up to the founding of BombBomb?
0: I think there's a lot of luck involved Mm -hmm. Um, you know life the 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 destination you get in life you know is made up of the journey that you take and I know that sounds very cliche but obviously there's a lot of luck involved in that Mm -hmm. and there is uh, you have to be brutally honest with yourself so even though it sounds like you know it's glorious being the CEO of a company and whatnot actually not you're probably the lowest rung you know you're running around Worrying about everything, making sure that everything is in place, and it's very stressful, right? Um, I lost a lot years. of hair <laughs> during okay. those during those years, and you grew uh, back a lot. <laughs> I still have some. I don't know if it grew back, but you know, it's it's extremely stressful. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of firefighting. You know. People think having your own company and uh, starting something up and you're, you have this fancy title, it's glorious, but it's not. You're constantly worrying about the survivability of that company. Mm. It's like a kid. You know. You, you, you have to worry that it's well-fed, it's uh, well-watered, and there are just so many things that can go wrong with a company. Mm. You know, Management can fall out, you can have bad employees, you can have fraud, you can have uh, you can run out of money, you can, have, uh, you can lose money, you can just have people who don't believe in your business and eventually it's a downward spiral. There are just so many ways that you can fail. And the trouble is with social media nowadays and uh, you know, how the internet has made the world a small place is that we only read about huge success stories. And I actually wanna highlight that um, there are a lot of failure stories too. You know, you, you always hear about the unicorns that made it big and etc. And for every one unicorn, there's probably about a thousand failures out there yes. who got beaten out by that unicorn. Yeah. You never hear their story. And uh, so for all the people out there who want to be an entrepreneur and they think that they got this bright idea,
2: yeah.
0: I would say that life has a way of punishing you if you don't if you aren't your own harshest critic. Mm-hmm. And I've always been harsh with myself. Um, I think even my, my own family would agree that I I can sometimes be perceived to be stubborn etc but I when things go wrong I am my own harshest critic. Okay. I don't wait for someone to tell me that I did something wrong.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that introspective nature from when I was young has has been a reasonably useful quality in correcting myself when things go wrong or you know whether it's in your past relationships or your past jobs you know you didn't do well in something you always need to have that kind of self-questioning mind. Now, how I got into BombBombLight, I said it's luck as well. I believe that if QB never came into my life, you know, my first Shiba, I never would have known that uh, of all the things that were going wrong in the industry. Right, so when you had QB, you
1: you were still, uh, you know, a CEO in the previous company?
0: Yes, I was. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so I think my view was that um, uh, that you know I wanted to take a step out of finance anyway. I was getting to the point where I felt that I wanted to do something that I was more passionate about. So it kind of fell into place, which is why I say I felt very lucky,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know. Uh, but at the same time, I had no plan to leave finance. I always felt that I was going to be involved in finance in some way or another. Yeah. Um, but when QB came into my life, uh, I remember that I went to that uh, breeder's house mm. and I saw this little pup and I never intended to get a pup that day and uh, I said to my wife, I said, um, you know what, I, we're not going to buy a pup today. Okay, okay we're not going to make an impulse decision, right? And of course, when you see these little pups running around, up, and will give you that look, tonight you like, became that impossible position. It's game over, right? It's GG. So, but having said that, you know there were a few pups running around, and I, you know they didn't they didn't do anything for me, and you know there were pups, and you know I, I managed to steel myself to say, okay, not gonna take one back today. Right. And then there was one little guy who was just playing by himself. It must have been me relating to him, being introspective and a loner, and I picked him up and uh, I looked at him and he just looked at me and normally when you pick puppies up they're just squirming they want to get out of your grasp he just calmly looked at me and I looked at him and I just said oh god there's no turning back no it's game over (laughs) and I I, I said I just said to him I found myself just saying to him "Uh, I'm gonna look after you for the rest of your life (laughs) but you and
1: your wife had some plans years before that you guys were going to have a dog someday?
0: Well, we never did because we just didn't think that we could handle it. Ah, okay. right? Because of did and... a busy career and all that. Yeah, and I promised myself because I had a cat when I was in London. Okay. And uh, when that cat passed away, I was destroyed. You know, I was devastated. And it was just before I moved back to Singapore. And I made a promise to myself that if I ever got a pet, I am going to make sure that I'm gonna be there for 60% of its time. Okay. You know, I don't think it's fair to get a pet and for it to be stuck at home all day and, it, you know, it revolves its life around you. Right. And uh, um, it's just waiting there for you and that's how they spend, you know, a lot of their lives. So I, I knew that if I was to get a pet, I had to commit the time. And uh, when I first got QB, I was really, you know, looking at, you know, uh, taking a step back from my business and I had really put it up for sale. So fortuitously, I actually uh, sold that business and we got, you know, some good cash for it. But um, it meant that I could spend a lot of time with QB and I could watch his every move, I could watch him growing up, you know, I'm very hands-on. Was this
1: the part where you mentioned that you were being your
0: harshest critic? Like, what's gonna be the next thing? No, I had no idea that I was... That I, at that stage, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew that I'd worked pretty hard in finance for the last 20-ish years mm-hmm. and uh, I just needed to take a break. You know, markets were not getting easy and um, I felt that my time was better spent on working on my health and you know, just you know, family life rather than uh, just going out there and making money. Any
1: influences from the past, like maybe you
0: were going through a, a stage where you realised that,
1: hey, you wanted to actually go back to your roots in like marine biology, you know, with like biology stuff, and, and, yeah. and, and the fact that your dad actually gave you that advice before,
0: yeah, um, so before being an oyster? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So, yeah. I actually, um, at that time, you know, I, I always wanted a pet, mm. first of all. But I didn't think that pet was going to start my career again.
2: Mm.
0: Uh, what my goal was, so while I was in finance, I always had an end goal. So I had already answered my, my question, like why share prices moved up and down. Yeah. But of course, during your life's journey, you also ask yourself, where do you see yourself in 20 years time, 30 years time? What's the end game? My end game and a lot of my own friends didn't even know this about me, right? Mm they just thought I'm the finance guy. But a lot of people who didn't know me since I was young never knew I was such a huge pet lover. And my end game was, I always said to myself, when I earn enough money in finance, I want to make sure that there are no homeless uh, dogs, cats, animals on the street. No animal deserves to be, you know, run over by a car or, you know, be, you know, left scavenging for rubbish or to be beaten and left out in the sun or in the cold weather, or whatever and just been given that quality of life. So my end goal was to earn enough money to help these animals. But like the Dalai Lama says, man is very sense. funny, right? Um, we spend all our lives l- trying to be happy mm-hmm. and healthy and we end up destroying much of that happiness and healthiness, uh, that health mm-hmm. by going out there and chasing money so that to try to be happy and healthy at the end. right? And what QB taught me was that I didn't have to wait until I had a huge stack of money in order to help animals, mm. right? I would say that if I wanted to retire, yeah, maybe I could. But, you know, it wasn't the huge, you know, stockpile of cash that I had envisioned or, or, or wanted. I felt that I had still had things to do, you know, uh, or things to prove to myself financially. Mm. But when QB came along, that's why I said it's kind of luck. Well, it's not really luck, it was bad luck because you know, the poor guy was not in good health. Yeah. You know, within weeks of him coming home, mm. and that's what opened my eyes to um, uh, that something needed to be done. So, for context, uh, maybe you could just share a little
1: bit of what QB actually went through mm. um, for the listeners out there.
0: Yeah. Uh, during his uh, pub years. Yeah, yeah. Well, QB came from uh, you know uh, uh, you know very good bloodline. You know, mm. his father is a championship show dog from, from uh, Japan mm. and uh, he's deemed to be one of the better Shiba Inus in Singapore mm. when I say better he's you know pedigree you know top good breed he's a good looking chap <laughs> right uh, and you know when I saw QB, I thought oh he's gonna grow up to be a good looking chap too okay. within weeks of him coming home he started to develop a small little hot spot and uh, you know he scratched himself and you don't really think much when dog scratches themselves right I mean they do it all the time and you know as a you know even though i had many dogs when i was young this was my my first dog right all the others were like family dogs where i interacted with them a lot but you know i didn't bathe them you know i didn't feed them and you know qb came home he was six plus weeks old and he would sleep in my bedroom you know i would take him for his two hour toilet breaks you know like you would when you have a baby you know and you know toilet train them and you know, you Molly call him, he slept on my bed, he did everything the same and and you just interact him all day long. So for any, for just a note, for any animal lover who says, you know, I love animals, I'm going to get a dog, people would think that I would say, yeah, go for it, it's great. But I actually say, don't do it unless you can commit the time. Mm. Because otherwise you're going to run into behavioural issues or health issues for the dog if you don't, or cat, if you don't spend the time you know, with your pet, you know, looking for those warning signs. But anyway, so he came home and he started with a little hot spot, he started scratching and I asked the breeder, is this normal? And he said, yeah, you know, I think he's shedding, you know, he's shedding his undercoat and or puppy coat and he's itching. And to my horror, he went from having this tiny little pin, pin, pinpoint, uh, sorry, pin sized hot spot. And he started balding on his entire side of his body. Mm, He had no fur. Mm. And he started developing ringworm, you know, on his side as well. So these crusty little halos started appearing on his side. And it was very distressing because during that time... Visible to the Nikodai. Absolutely. It was huge. So if you go to like Mom's website, we show the origin story there. And you can see how it deteriorated Mm. very rapidly. Mm. Um, And during that time, of course, we weren't just sitting back and doing nothing. We took him to three vets Mm. and You see, the traditional response by vets, when you ask them that, they said, okay, we're going to do a skin scrape test or fur pluck test. We're going to test for fungus and bacteria, etc. And most of it came back negative, right? And uh, even before the test came back, they said, you know, in the meantime, take some steroidal cream, some antihistamine, some antibiotics, and hopefully he'll clear out from that. You know, he went from, very quickly, he went from this beautiful little furry pup, you know, who looked like he had the promise of being a champion Shiba Inu, to this skinny, half-balding, single-coated, really runtish-looking pup. And uh, you know, you never think that. You, the first thing you think of is this is genetics. I got the runt of the litter. Right. You know, when I compared him to his siblings, he was smaller, he was skinnier, and you, you, the first thing you think of is genetics. But you would never think that. You know, you provide you know this dog in a comfortable home environment. He's clean all the time, and mm. you know he's well fed. Right. You'd never think that actually you are the one doing all these things to your dog, mm. and it's harming him.
2: Mm.
0: And when I started to put the pieces of the puzzle together, when when the vet started to fail, you know, um, you know the meds were making him weaker. I could see that it really wasn't doing him any favors. He was becoming very emaciated. And the funny thing is. You know, being an analytical person, I was fascinated with, you know, how he grew up. So I used to chart his weight, I used to chart his, his size growth and his output, his input, you know, what he'd eat. And this was before I knew much about, you know, dog canine nutrition specifically, oh, right? Yeah. But out of this pursuit of science, I charted all of this. So till this day, I have the calendar um, that we used to mark QB's pee and poo times. Wow, And uh, every day since he came home, I religiously, you know, asked, you know, uh, my family to take note and, you know, my housekeeper to take note. And um, QB used to poo anywhere between four to six times a day. Now, if you read up on a website... That's a lot, right? That's a lot. But you see, no one thinks that's abnormal. Okay. Because when you go to a website, everyone says, oh, they're puppies, they're poop machines. That's normal, right? Okay. But... To me, that wasn't normal. And that was the beginning of the self-questioning phase. Right. Like, what if it's me? What if I'm doing something wrong? So at the time, I was feeding him what they called the six-star kibble. It was organic kibble. It was full of good ingredients. You know, I would go into a pet shop and look at, and, you know, pour through the ingredients and say, okay, that's good. That's bad. This is good. This is bad. And I found a kibble brand that was, I felt that I was very comfortable with and it was deemed to be the best in the pet food industry.
2: Right.
0: And then I started to ask myself, is it normal for a dog to poo four to six times a day and for the poo to be such huge in volume, but it's never fully firm? So that began my quest to answer the question about what if he's trying to tell me something through right. his poo? right? right? And uh, then I started to, to just apply simple logic. If I'm feeding my dog 100 grams of food, and he's pooing out the equivalent of 80 to 90 grams, what is he absorbing? And then that led to a whole host of other questions, like what if he's allergic? What if he's intolerant? What if this is not the right food for him? Mm. But there's no one to answer all these questions. Like you can spend hours and hours and days on the internet or picking up nutrition textbooks, and there's nothing that tells you, at the time when IQB started, there was very little literature about you know all this and then you know i stu- stumbled on some raw feeding you know ideas and there were people out there um, and typically it would be people who lived in the big countryside who had access to fresh produce on a farm or close by and then even though it looked very gross to me the whole idea of feeding raw i asked myself is it normal that we're that everything that a a dog requires is in that little biscuit of kibble, Mm. right? And there's these other people feeding like pieces of meat and veg and fruit and all that. And you see, everything out there makes you paranoid that if you go and formulate it yourself, you're going to imbalance the diet because we all think that it's so difficult to balance the diet. But you see, if you are consistent with your logic, we never worry as human beings if we are receiving a balanced diet and the truth of it is we never get a balanced diet i mean you know it's very difficult but we somehow convinced ourselves we can do it well but then when it comes to our own dogs or or cats we become super paranoid that we know nothing about them and you you know we we rely on the words of pet food suppliers and manufacturers that you know everything that they need is in that processed you know patty or kibble But when you start to dissect, you know, uh, you go back to basics. So back to my research days, you don't take a, you know, uh, you know, if I'm looking at investing in a company, I don't take the management's word for, you know, the prospect or outlook for that company is looking good. Right. I would ask them about numbers. And if the numbers don't add up for me, it would be a short on the company. And if if it looked like they were being ultra conservative and things were looking rosy, I'd buy the company. and. Instead of you know, looking at more reviews for pet food, instead of taking people's word for it, I had to go back to basics and the root of what was heads. wrong. Yeah. So it was the start of another very soul-searching period for me where there was no guidance, there was no one that I could lean on. Um, you know, feeding. This was, was 20... 2016, right? Yeah, uh, and 2016. And you already
1: sold your previous company? Or you not uh, I, I was believe... still there. I was still there. How did but you manage manage it you just the time to do all
0: the research? <laughs> Well, I think, you know, when you're part of the sales process, when I was taking a step back already, um, you know, I could ironically afford more time. Okay. So I spent days and nights actually reading up on, uh, you know, instead of reading up forums and reviews, I think forums, just putting it out there, you know, forums, while it's great to you know, collaborate amongst other pet owners and you know, discuss other problems that uh, everyone has had, common problems, yeah. it's also a really dangerous breeding ground for misinformation too yeah. because no one there is really an expert and everyone's just talking from the point of view of their own experiences, right? It doesn't mean that it's right and you get a lot of perpetuation of old wives' tales and you know, things that don't make sense, assumptions, right. correct, yeah. yeah. So I had to go back to basics. Instead of going to these kind of things, I I had to take a step further away from pet nutrition in order to understand more about pet nutrition. So I picked up books on canine anatomy, feline anatomy. You know, if you have to understand what works for your pet, you have to understand what is your pet made of first. And you know, I hit on some really interesting research, um, just understanding first that, you know, their gut looks nothing like ours. Mm. Their teeth look nothing like ours, right? Yet the people who cooked, you know, home-cooked food for their pets and you see them putting lovely vegetables and fruit in there, you know, sometimes you see people feeding their dogs and cats like human beings, it could be a human meal. Mm. And uh, it was puzzling to me because every textbook out there that wasn't talking about nutrition but was objectively talking about you know, this is, uh, this is how a dog's intestine looks like. This is what the enzyme set of an animal looks mm-hmm. like. Everything was contradicting what pet food companies were saying or what ingredients were going in. Yeah. So for example, um, every canine textbook out there will tell you where amylase is produced. The amylase is the uh, is the enzyme that is required to break down carbohydrates or starches. Mm. You know, in, in human beings, in 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 animals, mm. um, human beings have twenty thousand plus copies of the amylase gene, mm. whereas dogs only have twenty, at best. Actually, a lot of domesticated dogs only have about six copies. But if they were pariah dogs or like you know dogs that were forced to scavenge, right. they can adapt to a small degree and they will have slightly. they will will adapt to produce slightly more amylase to scavenge and absorb nutrition from secondary sources Mm. like starches. So that really went counter to what I believed, and um, if you look at the packet of any kibble pack, or even some bath packs or some freeze-dry packs, you know, kibble would have at least 20, 30, 40% carbohydrate content. Mm. And I'm wondering if your dog is so deficient in uh, amylase that breaks down carbohydrates, why are we feeding our dogs so much carbohydrates? And what's the impact of doing that? And then you drill down and you understand that you know if you strain the pancreas that's producing amylase, you can end up with pancreatitis, mm. and pancreatitis is a terribly debilitating um, uh, affliction for dogs and cats to have. Mm. You know, uh, it's a very painful way to go. So the first step in evolving his diet, QB's diet, was to take out all the starch. And you see a lot of vets and you see a lot of uh, so-called experts in the industry, right. they advise feeding pumpkin, you know, rice, you know, to your dogs or even they will say, oh, white rice is bad, but brown rice is better. So mm. they go from high glycemic to low glycemic recommendations. And so both are? Both are equally bad. They're okay. still carbs at the end of the right. day. It just depends how quickly that... Carbohydrate, you know, whether it's complex or simple starch breaks down. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, the simple bu- building blocks are still simple starches or mm-hmm. sugars, mm-hmm. which still needs amylase to metabolize. Right. So it doesn't really matter whether it's brown rice or white rice or you know uh, if it's potatoes or sweet potato or pumpkin. Okay. You know, it's still the food group is still a starch. So the first thing I did was I eliminated carbohydrates from the diet. And the miraculous thing is I started to see his poo frequency reduced from four to six times a day to like twice a day. So I was like, oh, he's absorbing the food much better. Mm. Then I took, I mean, while I was preparing his food, you know, I, I, I started to experiment and I'm, I'm a huge foodie myself. So I do a lot of cooking at home. Oh, okay. So yeah. I'm a huge proponent of not uh, overcooking stuff or like frying things till like, it looks like a burnt piece of coal and Mutating i know the that nutrients yeah, exactly yeah. so uh, being the obsessive person that i am i started sous viding his food wow so <laughs> i had sous vide containers so and whatnot cool. and i would uh, get you know a nice piece of chicken or pork and you know put a little bit of veg in there oh. and then you know you read that you know lentils are good of you know good forms of protein and oh. ala and whatnot okay. uh, so i started putting little bits of veg and predominantly meat in his sous vide packs and i sous vide it and then I, I fed it to him and he would the though he used to eat like he wasn't fed for weeks. You know, when he was on kibble, it's just like he was never ever full. But when when I fed him proper fresh meats, you know, fresh produce, after every meal he used to let out a contented burp and then he used to wander away. And it's a nice little feeling to see them, you know, so happy and contented. And mm-hmm. worst of all, you see that through your own formulation, you're not giving them diarrhoea yeah. and they're growing up well and he was bulking up and his fur was growing back from his bald spots. And I'm like, wow, this is not so scary after all, it's not so difficult. But I still wasn't, being the insecure person that I am, I was never content with I'm doing things right. Yes. So then I started to ask myself more questions. What if I'm still doing him harm? Yeah. Right. What if I am still not balancing the diet properly? Because it's like almost like a one shot, one kill attempt. Yeah, uh, Well, I, it, I think America, it's always... too good to be true? Kind of. Yeah, so like one of my bosses, you know, he's a very famous guy in finance, right. you know, and I took away something from that job when I was working for a very big hedge fund in London. You know, uh, he told me, and I, I would attribute a lot of my success to him. Mm. He told me, Jason, you never stop repainting that bridge. So what he meant by that was, you know, we would build a financial model for a company and we think that we know that company and just when you start to get comfortable with things you know you you start to create more complex models and start to rebuild that model and start Mm. to you know make it uh emulate real life variables a lot more and just try to be clever about the way you do things Mm. you know you should never rest on your laurels and say i know everything so when you ask me if i'm an investment specialist i would say no you know and even in pet nutrition i would not call myself an expert i don't think people should dare to call themselves Experts, because mm. especially, unlike the area of human nutrition, where there's a lot of literature out there, there's a lot of academic papers printed about, you know, human nutrition, and there's a lot that can be understood about human nutrition through objective peer-reviewed research. In the area of uh, canine or feline nutrition, there isn't a lot,
2: mm.
0: you know. So, and and even some of the research out there is paid research by. You know, uh, pet food companies who would not have, you know, neutral opinions printed. You know, so there's a lot of fear mongering out there. So that's what made my research experience such an uphill struggle that Mm. you read a lot of scaremongering or fear mongering articles that feeding raw is akin to poisoning your dog. And at that time, I started, you know, bum bum, even my own family were accusing me and said, you're poisoning our baby, you know, you're poisoning QB. And there's this huge guilt that yeah, I, I don't want to send him back to that phase where he was sick and weak and I would never forgive myself if I killed this little pup, Yeah, you know, through salmonella or E. coli or something like that, which is what we humans associate raw food with. Right. But you know, this is why I said, sometimes things happen by luck as well. And I noticed that, you know, call it laziness too, in sous-videing his meals, I started to sous-vide his meals shorter and shorter because, you know, sous-vide, sous-videing requires time. Right. And when I started to rush, I had to go to work or something. Okay. It, the sous eating time went from one and a half hours to like half an hour. And I started to realize that, you know, on the days that I sous vide his food less, his poo volume decreased once again. And I actually saw, because I charted his, his weight growth, his height growth, his fur growth, I started to notice accelerations in his absorption mm. and his progress when... I was cooking the food less and less. Mm -hmm. And that in turn led me to to ask myself another question. What if he's really a true carnivore and he's not an omnivore, like some theories postulate out there? So his diet went looking less like a human-based diet. You know, the lentils went straight out the window, the meat portion went up. I started feeding him more organ meats, which I knew was packed with vitamins. You know, bones, even though I was nervous as hell, uh, about feeding bones because you see so many, you know, scare stories about people killing their dogs or bones being ingested. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, once again, that was a whole new line of questioning in my mind. Am I killing my dog? Is this right? And it was a very, very long, painful journey because there's no one there to tell you this is wrong and this is right. And even till today, there's no one to tell you wrong is right. So when I make a decision whether it's wrong or right. The only way to do it is through thorough, thorough research and objective testing. So what I did to prove to myself that actually feeding bones was safe was that I ran an experiment of cooking bones at different temperatures and different controlled time periods. And I saw the, the, the way that the bone matrix of an edible chicken bone mm-hmm. would denature. The longer you cook it or the shorter time but at a higher temperature and you saw how the bone denatured. So I tested it for malleability, I tested it for bone density. How do you test this? Moisture like at home? Yeah, you can test it. It's okay. easy, right? Uh, so... So you don't need any fancy equipment, just... I mean, it's not, it, it's... Uh, I mean, yes, I did use some some equipment that would not be found in normal homes to right. measure moisture content. Because this was before the founding of bon bon. Oh. It was, was before, it yeah. was before. Uh, I have to say, BombBomb was an accident. BombBomb was not a deliberate Business idea, you know, it happened by accident and I had no intention of starting a business You know, I thought that I was ready to start just helping animals, you know, oh, okay. you know homeless animals But I it wasn't like I'm gonna sell my finance company and I'm gonna start pet nutrition now. I see It was more I'm gonna uh, You know um, Take a back step from finance. I'm gonna take life a little bit easier And I'm gonna do something I like and I'm gonna do some charity along the way, too mm. Bombom was the last thing I, I had on my mind, and in that time, never crossed your mind. No, and I didn't even. The funny thing is, even when I started, you know, preparing food for other pets, I had no name for the company. It was not known as Bombom. Right? It was just QB's Kitchen. You know, <laughs> that's cute. Yeah, <laughs> I had no idea. No okay. idea. All right. So, um, yeah, there was a huge evolution in QB's diet. Yeah. You know, I made a lot of mistakes along the way, just like everyone else would. Um, so it was really QB's positive responsiveness that actually gave you the confidence yeah. to continue to experiment. Yeah. And yeah. what I realised uh, upon meeting other Shiba Inu owners, that, you know, we used to have these little Shiba, Shiba Inu gatherings, yeah. you know, and that's how I met, you know, Vincent and Dorothy as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, at the end of one of these meetings, a couple of owners came up to me. At, well, at the meeting, you know, they had saw... Qb in his really sickly phase when he was a skinny runty little pup, mm. and then after two months, you know, we met up for a reunion at the breeders, and I had a few people come up to me and said, "Ah, oh, you bought another Shiba Inu," and I was like, "No, this is Qb," and they was like, they looked at him and was like, "This can't be. He looks so different." Yeah, and you know, his fur was so full. He had a full double coat. He was bulky as hell. You know, um, he was bigger than some of his older peers, and they were they were just flabbergasted at his transformation. And I didn't think anything of it, right? I was just happy that he was healthy. Yeah. At the end of that day, there was a couple of owners that came up to me and just said, you know, whatever it is that you're feeding QB, can you help us too? Mm-hmm. You know, we'll pay you for it. And, we, you know, I said, don't worry about it. I just, just, you know, you cover the cost of the raw materials. I'm happy to do it for you. So I started to formulate the same diet for other people as I did for QB and, uh, they themselves started to see miraculous transformations within weeks but it wasn't as smooth as qb and that's when i came to the realization that also um every dog has slightly different requirements so when dogs take a lot of organ meats even though it's vitamin powerhouse uh, a vitamin powerhouse um too much of a good thing can also cause diarrhea okay you know so i discovered the hard way too that you know, I can't just give other dogs what I gave QB because age is a factor, breed is a factor, you know, um, you know, uh, idiosyncratic factors like you know pre-existing condi- conditions is a factor, mm. allergies is a factor. So then I start to think to myself, this is impossible. Yeah, it's very how, complex. How can you create, you know, uh, a multivariable feeding model? Uh, for something that has no precedence and something that has so many variables. So this is where my finance, financial modeling knowledge came in handy, right? Mm. So you know, we spent, I spent all my years, everything I do, I put it into numbers, I build a model for it and I started to build a multi-variable model for feeding animals. It took care of portioning, it took care of ratios, formulae, it rethought how um, the traditional ratios of nutrition was for canine and feline nutrition. So a lot of, you know, uh, owners out there, they go by this internet wisdom that if you feed PMR, which is prey, model, raw, uh, the ratio that you should feed is 80-10-5-5, which means 80% meat, 10% bone, 5% liver, 5% other secreting organ. And I can tell you that if you follow that, I would say maybe 30% of the dogs and cats out there probably won't make a successful transition.
2: Mm.
0: One, because they wouldn't accept that ratio well, and two, owners will probably freak out long before they make that successful transition when they see diarrhea and all Mm. that. You know, the first thing they think of is, oh my god, I've given my pet food poisoning, and then they'll just stop the diet and go back to something processed, which is sad. Yeah, so I I was feeding you know, the other uh, pets and I realized that you know there's no one-size-fits-all model. So I think the challenge was to develop a um, a a system that could flex for different needs of different pets
2: mm-hmm.
0: and a reliable one. I mean, it got to the point where you know I was feeding you know two or three pets. You know, the owners saw humongous improvement in them in whatever ailments they wanted to address. To um, to tens of pets to hundreds of pets you know and and now it's you know it's on a huge scale but i i think the key is i never expected BombBomb to be a business right it was just meant to help pets i you know it was in line with my dream right but you know i couldn't continue cobbling together a diet in my home Mm -hmm. you know for people i didn't feel that it was the most hygienic way i didn't feel that it was uh Um. the right way to do it and i think obviously when you're dealing with Food in general, whether it's raw or whether it's cooked, you do need proper hygienic practices, proper right. machinery, right. and unless you have the proper machinery to deal with it, you can't possibly be dealing with it hygienically right you know so bomb bom went from you know to moving into a shop All house into a shophouse yeah. yeah, and then within a few months, we exploded out of the shophouse and we went to a big industrial facility mm. so yeah i mean it's been it's been a real journey um, it's just. I mean, out of my entire career, I've never seen something that has uh, been so rewarding, you know, and at the same time, it's something that doesn't feel like work, you know, and yet I have never worked so hard in my life, you know. So it's something that doesn't feel like work. I would spend a lot of my own free time, I would just pick up a nutrition book, I would just pick up a, a, you know, peer-reviewed research on genetics or nutrigenomics or, you know, On something very obscure like you know the effect of feeding fruits on dogs you know
1: because biology and chemistry and all this science stuff was like your first love right
0: yeah but also you know when you get into a business of this scale you know commodity trading too becomes very relevant you Mm. know because you are still buying livestock produce and trying to circumnavigate you know the risks of buying from bad producers or unreliable producers or people who are trying to price gouge you you know, at the end of the day, you still have to run a business and my responsibility to our clients is to make sure that BombBomb is a sustainable business,
2: mm.
0: you know, and not not only sustainable in terms of economics but sustainable uh, and reasonable for, for the owners but also sustainable ethically, you know, yes. that we don't want to patronise, uh, you know, produce or farms that aren't, you know, intensively farming or and husbandry is very dirty or poor. Mm-hmm. So this is something that, you know, I applied my knowledge of farming or, or commodities and, you know, livestock um, markets to get the best for our pets. Mm. You know, and through economies of scale that we have already achieved, you know, we, we can pretty much offer the best diet for the best prices.
1: Mm. Yeah. Most of these uh, research, um, you know, in, in, in livestock and all that, uh, I'm, I'm sure a lot of the commodity training and, and all that actually draws a lot of experience in your finance years, mm, for sure. But for livestock, uh, nutrition and all that, am I correct? It's really after you've met QB onwards. Or, or, or it's, it's something that you've been
0: doing reading on your own. Or actually, the funny thing is, so one of the ideas that I had that I, that I wanted to do alongside finances, I think was, was, was uh, to run a restaurant because okay. I'm a huge foodie too. Okay. And I got very much into the era of molecular gastronomy. Okay. So I started to, you know, once again read up a lot about foods and the effect of cooking on foods and the different cuts of meat and understanding, you know, fats and proteins and carbohydrates. And, you know, I was already reading about nutrition in general for humans. I see. And you can kind of feed off that, you, you can borrow ideas from that, um, even though. Of course, cats, dogs, and humans are different species. Uh, you need to understand about food. So I feel that, you know, I borrow a little bit from everything. Mm-hmm. You know, I borrow a lot from you know my I, my my science-based background, from mm-hmm. my financial background, from my love of pets, from you know uh, from you know casual reading of you know food mm-hmm. here and there. Um, but I think, I mean, my mission, or I feel my responsibility now in life, is that look there's only one of me in this world. I don't think I'm anything special but the experience I bring is fairly unique and I feel that if I don't capitalize on this uh, chance that QB gave me, you know, to help other pets, I don't believe any other one, anyone else can do this, you know, in terms of building a multifactorial system to feed a huge number of pets and also have the scientific backing and the financial backing and the uh, the acumen to source good produce, to build, uh, to, to build or, or construct, you know, hygienic and meaningful, um, nutritious meals. Mm. You know, I, I, I think, you know, you could be a, you could be veterinary, you, you you could be a vet, yeah, and you could know a dog inside out, anatomy wise, but you wouldn't have the nutritional knowledge. You know, you could be a food scientist, but you wouldn't have any idea on. Uh, on, on how a cat or dog looks like on the inside or, yeah. you know, how to interpret poo, you know. Um, so I think there is a lot that I still need to work on mm-hmm. and I feel that in this business I'm borrowing from everything that I've learned in life, everything, you know, uh, whether it's my work ethic, whether it's uh, the research analysis that I've put in to bomb, bomb to what it is today or... Just simply love of animals, mm. but I, I think simply to say that BombBomb was born out of my love of animals—that's very contrived. I think you really have to go all the way in this, you know. And I would caution anyone going to be an entrepreneur just for the sake of making money. Mm. I would say don't, you know. You, I, I would always say if you have a business idea, if you think that you can bring something meaningful and valuable to the world, make sure that people will use your product and people will uh, people will patronise you. you know? It's very fascinating that you actually
1: bring this up because I think that um, like myself, I'm actually in finance, an mm-hmm. uh, insurance company in UK, uh, based in UK but now actually mm. they're incorporated in Singapore. Um, but for a lot of people, like uh, based on my observations and, and my own personal experience, there's always um, the temptation to follow Certain hurt instincts, right? Mm -hmm. Certain practices and things like that. I'm sure there are a lot of like you know very ethical practitioners out there, you know, in the finance space and things like that. But there's always this side of things, Um, and and you bring this up, which is actually I I think it holds a lot of weight because you've spent many years in the finance space, and to be able to still stick with that, I think is it it, it's just very meaningful to, to actually hear from you.
0: Yeah, a lot of people assume that look, I I'm doing BombBomb because it's a lucrative business, and I can tell you that I've not taken a cent out of BombBomb. And uh, if you were in this business to make money, you would have given up a long time ago.
2: Mm.
0: You know, BombBomb is three years in now. We are, you know, probably Asia's largest raw feeding company. Um, and to think that we achieved that in three years is is no mean feat. You know, and. I'm very proud of what the team has done. I, I couldn't have done it myself. I have, you know, two very uh, trustworthy and, and uh, very capable partners, experts in their own rights, in their own fields. You know, BombBomb is what I call the triumvirate of you know, nutritional research, engineering, and, and technology. And each of my partners represents one of those pillars, mm. as I do too. Mm. And I think if you have a business, that's why I say there's a lot of luck too. You have to meet the right people to help you run that business but also to support you and to believe in your cause and those two partners were, started off being one of those people I used to produce for in my kitchen. And they said to me, we believe so much in what you do, we want to be part of your journey. So you first started out on bond already with them? No, uh, so they were my customers that asked me to help feed their pets and they just asked me in a casual conversation, can you help and when they they saw- owners. One of them is okay. and the other one's a Westie owner Right. and uh, even though the Westie was still in good health and you know he comes from good pedigree the owners still saw tremendous you know improvements in his health. He had you know chronic well not chronic but quite acute liver uh, failure or damage to some extent and I and I think his liver all enzyme was above a thousand when the the reference benchmark should be below 120 ish for the alt enzyme and during his time on Bombom, we saw through up through no medication through no uh, major medical intervention just from eating better mm-hmm. liver spots on his on his abdomen cleared up and his liver values have now completely normalized right you know so um and my other partner who owns a couple of shibas you know his shibas were balding too they had the same Issue, issue the immune system issue that QB had yeah and just just to come back you know uh, when I reflect back on QB's condition all the vets uh, were it like a skin issue and actually this problem is not a skin issue mm. it's an immune system issue mm. and that's the problem with a lot of pets nowadays that they don't really have skin issues they have an immune system issue
2: mm.
0: yeah they don't have pancreatitis they are just fed inappropriately you know, or genetic-based pancreatitis. So there are a lot of um, parallels that I can draw with QB's affliction with how what other people go through. And every time I met a new customer, a person who came to me with a problem, it just felt that I was reliving QB's journey. And that's why I treat every client like my own dog or my own cat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know how painful it was to, you know, see your pet day by day deteriorate and no one can help you. So really my goal is just to educate people, make sure that they know exactly what I'm doing, what we're trying to achieve. Um, like I said, you know, as an entrepreneur, it's, 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 it can be a thankless task sometimes. You know, you've got your competitors trying to take you down, yeah. you've got people trying to badmouth you, um, you know, you even got customers who are sometimes ungrateful for the help. Uh, or maybe they just don't see things your way but i have to thank my team i have to thank you know some very long time clients who believed in what we did they saw the fruits of what we were trying to achieve and you know that's why i say to entrepreneurs if you believe in what you do and you're harsh enough on yourself mm-hmm. you know you're your own best critic i think that you can succeed it doesn't matter if you want to be the world's best, you know, gardener. If you want to be the world's best, you know, shipbuilder, or you know, you can succeed in anything. How do you balance between being your harshest critic? And
1: does this ever come across your mind in terms of like overjudging yourself?
0: I think, yeah, I, I do try to, I do second guess myself sometimes. But I think if you're objective in your research even if you do second-guess yourself, that second-guessing will lead to confirmation
2: mm.
0: that your research was right in the first place, your initial finding was correct.
2: Mm.
0: And that's the thing about being objective, that if you are logical in your follow-through in the way that you assess yourself, it doesn't matter how, it doesn't matter how many times you, you, you try to second-guess yourself, you will reach tr- the truth,
1: mm.
0: you know, if you're truly objective and you, know, you see things through.
1: Mm. Uh, you, you, you kept mentioning this word, luck, mm. uh, in terms of the founding of Bon Bomb and all that. Um, hearing your story, yeah, you also mentioned Steve Jobs and, and one of his famous, most famous uh, quote from him is that you can only, you know, connect the dots backwards, right. not, not forward. Um, things just, just, you know, fall into place one by one, like you actually met your partners through your customers whom you actually experimented food mm-hmm. you know, for their pets and, and, and all that. What do you think about luck versus um, basically what I'm trying to get at is that, was it because you, 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 you kept true to yourself of like what you were actually passionate about and that's why you were looking out for these things that naturally
0: fell into place and it just seemed like luck on the surface. So I believe in making your own luck sometimes. Mm. So obviously if you are scared of doing things the whole time, like if I had listened to my family initially, like even my own mom said to me, you know, we had 12 dogs when we were young. They're all fed on kibbles and you see, they all lived to 15 years old. Mm. Then I thought about that and I was like, yeah, my mom has a point. Yeah. But Then I thought back and I, I, I said back to her, but mom, do you remember how each one of them died? said they all, most of them ended their life with cancer. That's not normal. And I said, do you remember how they were always stinky? You know, we would shower them once a week in medicated shampoo and within days, they would have a cheesy smell on them. Mm. And none of our dogs looked like those dogs like you see in textbooks, beautiful, glossy fur, bounding, healthy. I mean, they were they were active, they were nice dogs. They didn't look diseased by any measure. Mm. But were they thriving? I wouldn't say so. And, you know, it's funny because parents being parents, you know, they go from being your harshest critic sometimes to then being your biggest supporter. When she saw QBs change, she started telling her friends and her <laughs> friends started. you know, typical Asian parents, right? Cool, yeah. So, um, I would say that, you know, you make your own luck. If you just got buffeted around by this person telling you this and that person telling you that and you didn't do your own work, hmm. you would be unlucky. You would stay unlucky. Whereas, you know, even after I did my research, I needed to take the courage to do this. I mean, to say that I'm leaving finance, you know, to take a well-paying job, you know, that I've, that's all I've been doing all my life, that's yes. all I know how to do, exactly. to earning nothing, you know, and building something pioneering
2: yeah.
0: and uh, taking a huge risk that has probably a 95% chance of failure. You know if you told me that i would have shat my pants literally i would not have done it yeah but because i so believed in the research that i did and i put it to work and i put it to practice and i believed in the numbers and i had all the evidence charted you know uh, qb's four to six times a day poo went to like once a day small poo instead of huge landmines all over the place (laughs) you know just little Corroboratory, uh, uh, you know, confirmatory um, evidence like that helps to build your confidence. And if I just stayed at home and I didn't want to help other people, I wouldn't have that luck. You know, I wouldn't. You know, but I think uh, life is about taking risks, and life is also about you know taking the opportunities when it gives it to you. And you know, you have to make failures. I mean, I myself had failures, career failures. You know, I didn't get the jobs that I wanted initially. Um, I, I made losses in investments too, so like I said, you have to accept that you'll just sometimes lose more than you win, and sometimes you win more than you lose. But you try to reduce the probability of failure by just making sure that you win more than you lose. So look, like I said, you know, even with Bomb I apply that same logic. You know, there will be customers who say Bomb, Bomb sucks. You know, that I'm not helping, etc. But this is if I took that mentality that. I'm going to be meeting all these kinds of people. Think about all the thousands of pets that I have helped and they would not have received that care and improvement in their health if we never started this, right. So I think if you get paralyzed by fear, by paralyzed by um, uh, the what ifs, you will never know. I just say, try it, you know, and be able to draw a line in the sand and say, Okay, I'm going to try up to this point and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, you know, yeah. on to the next thing. I think what you mentioned
1: is very important because I think most of us, um, when we feel that we are actually, you know, we have certain interests or like very deep interests, almost what, what we most of us would call like passions to actually try mm. something, we are often paralyzed by this thing called fear. Mm. And for someone to be in the peak of its career in finance, to be able to take such a humbling experience, to take a step back and go into something, mm. It, it, it
0: must have been very, very scary.
1: What, what, what do you think? You know, if you had yeah. told
0: me that 10 years ago that this is how I was going to end my finance career, I would be crapping myself. But seeing what I did for QB and seeing how other pet owners went through what I did, I knew that this is my calling. And suddenly I realized my epiphany that I had been dishonest to myself my whole life. I had convinced myself that I was a successful person in banking. I convinced myself that my life revolved around numbers and and, uh, um, trying to to make money.
2: Mm.
0: And I had discovered the mechanics of how capital markets move. Mm. While that interested me, I had forgotten my childhood passion, which was I love animals and I always wanted to help animals. And I think that was tremendously important that, and I've, that's why I say, even though it's partially luck but and the rest is like, you know, effort, knowledge, hard work. I'm sure. But I feel lucky because if it wasn't for QB, he wouldn't have highlighted how dire the industry is in terms of um, misinformation uh, and, and, you know, poor research. Um, there's still a lot of work to be done in the industry and I hope to be one of the people to shape that in the world, not just in Singapore, but in the world, about, um, you know, how people perceive pet nutrition Mm. or pet care in general. Uh, Bombom represents the first stepping stone for me in changing how pets live with us, you know. Even if it means that we reduce the number of pets out there, you know, through better breeding, more selective breeding or, you know, more selective... Um, you know, ownership. Mm. I think it is important to educate people in making the right decisions, whether it's feeding their pets better or just simply saying to them, you're not ready to own a pet yet. You know, think about it for yourself, you know, before you take that plunge, because that's how pets end up on the street. Yeah. You know, girlfriend or boyfriend buy a pet for each other, with each other, they break up. The only, I mean, you know, the poor pet then, you know, who does he live with? And we've seen cases, you know, where pets get abandoned because of these custody issues, Uh, you know, and it's very sad when we have these kind of fallouts and the main victims are the pets who have no voices. Mm -hmm. So I see that Bombom is serving more of a purpose than just pet nutrition, it's also about, you know, the welfare of another species on this planet. I think so too. Yeah, and it is difficult, you know, Every day we face challenges in BombBomb, and uh, in any business. Like when I read the paper, or I I read an opinion piece, you could see something that you think is completely unrelated to BombBomb, but it is. Everything is related to what you're doing. So, for example, people are talking about going green, Mm. you know, and there's a huge movement against uh, animal-based diets, you know, going more to plant-based diets, and of course, um, you know, now I'm seeing. And I was asked to do some consultancy work for an insect-based diet for pets because it's more sustainable way of feeding pets. And I'm just face-palming myself and thinking, this is just more of the same, you know, human motive, trying to profiteer from a very low cost, uh, low cost offering that just barely keeps your pet alive, Mm -hmm. but it's not really how they should be fed, you know, and... It's worrying, to me, some of the trends that are emerging in the world today, you know, whether it's, you know, life on social media, Instagrammers who, you know, put elaborate, you know, meals in, in an Instagram picture. It looks beautiful. And then you get a lot of people attempting to make their own raw meals and they follow that and their pets just diarrhea all over the place or, you know, or are fed inappropriately or even in some cases can kill their pets. Yeah. You know, um, that's very worrying for me. I see a lot of worrying trends that Bomb has to uh, go against but for me this is life and this is my life mission so i think what emboldened me to go ahead with this even though it holds very little profit motive is that i think it's for a worthy cause till the day that qb leaves this planet god Mm. forbid Mm -hmm. you know um he'll be a constant reminder to me every day that uh that it wasn't just him that needed us You know and I see my purpose on this earth I mean every human being has probably asked himself at some point what is your purpose what is the purpose of your life on this planet Right? I feel that I I found my purpose and that is to leave a legacy for pets that's my biggest wish so that even long after I'm buried six feet under pets generations from now will have a feeding model or a uh, safe and protected uh, education uh, well, not, not education but a framework for owners to feed within mm. you know right now 70% of owners out there my estimate still believe that feeding a processed homogenous diet like kibbles or like freeze dried raw they call it freeze dried raw but it's not really raw is the right way to go ahead Right. but you know we have scientific evidence to prove that it's not why do you think that such research was never around, like, even before. It's vested interest. Okay. You know, uh, kibbles was invented in the ni- 1850s. And, is it uh, like a more or less like a protected tub. Yeah, it is. It, the, the system is, is very protected. The industry is very biased and rigged and to an extent. When a vet goes through a vet school uh, you know, or university, who do you think helps to fund the research and provide a lot of the syllabus content for these vets. You know, and the good vets, when they come out of school, they are, the first thing they do is be approached by those pet food companies you know, out there. And that's why you see and a lot of vet clinics, they have the hoardings of the pet food brands that have approached them and said, if you sell this product, we will give you some commission, etc. And these diets are not necessarily the best for, for pets. And it's shocking to believe that in this age of technological progress, the formulation for kibbles hasn't really improved all that much since the 1850s when it was first invented. Mm. So 150 plus 170 years ago now, you know, we're into the uh, evolution of kibbles and it's still not doing major favors for pets.
2: Mm.
0: And this is why I said, you know, there's the perversion of human logic that if we apply the same human logic, like if I told you to eat biscuits that were fortified with vitamins and protein day in and day out, right. you would tell me you'd go to hell. you tell me that I'm talking off my rocker, right? If I told you to eat, you know, an, uh, you know fish on two days and like, um, you know, have a nice plate of veg and meat and carbs together, you say, I'll go with that. But suddenly when it comes to feeding our pets, that logic goes out of the window. You know, and like what I always say to my clients, I said, just take a look at your dog. Look at its teeth, right? That's telling you it's a carnivore. They don't have molars like we do, which Mm. is for grinding vegetables. Mm. Their dentition tells you everything visually that you need to know, even if you're a layman. And the interesting thing is I was at a customer's house and I asked the family, you know, the Mm. father and the mother, and there was this four-year-old child there. And I asked the family, Let me put you in a hypothetical situation. Let's say you're on a family safari in Africa and the safari guide asks you, what do you think this animal eats? How could you tell what the animal eats just by looking at the animal? What visual cues do you get? The mother and the father looked at me. I was like, they thought this is a trick question or is this some complex (laughs) thing? The four-year-old just immediately said, teeth. And that's the point. Kids are brutally honest. Yeah. Kids are direct. They just tell you as it is. And we lose ourselves in all the like the complexities of life. And there's so many parallels with what these human beings have gone through, and what I've gone through. You just yeah. have all your logic diluted with all the different forces. And I think if you are brutally honest with yourself, you will reach the truth. We always had the truth, but you know, when we we're kids, but we lose it. So I think if you are passionate and you have a little bit of a thick skin, you can get there in, you know, you don't have to be doing pet nutrition, you can be doing anything and you will succeed. So yeah, I just found it interesting that even a four-year-old can see what the logic in what we're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because we see kids of families with dogs, you know, now when they feed Bomb Bomb, that's dog food to them. And then when they see kibble, they go, what is that, mommy and daddy, you know? <laughs> and I remember, and this is how I want to change the face of pet food, right? I, I remember in the 80s, when we had our multitude of pets, there were pet stores selling chocolate droplets for dogs. Now even you guys as non-pet owners now, I'm sure you know that chocolate is toxic to dogs. Yes, that's what of that. Yeah. Even you guys know. But in the 80s, we didn't know. And that was only like 40 years, uh, sorry, yeah, 30 years ago, Yeah. right? So it's pretty shocking that all these recent discoveries, you know, something so basic, is still not entrenched in human uh, logic for pet nutrition. Mm. Yeah, it still has a lot of evolution to do, and I hope that BombBomb will be at the forefront of shaping that. Since,
1: uh, you know, the recent, I don't know, five to 10 years, how 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 do you think that pet ownership has slowly evolved in, in Singapore or mm. in Asia and and what, and what are you excited about? Like is it taking more towards a positive direction based on your observation mm. or like you know, what are you excited about in that space?
0: I would say that the trends in pet ownership or pet nutrition is generally positive so at least you know humankind is doing their part to do better for our furry friends. Mm. Um, in terms of demographics for sure uh, there is a inverse, an inverse relationship with human fertility rates and pet ownership. So, mm. you know, people who don't have kids or don't want to have kids or, you know, maybe the cost of having kids is too high, but they want to own something together, you know, a pet is a very natural uh, and logical step to take for a lot of couples. Mm. And, um, you know, especially in this day and age where property prices are skyrocketing in places like Hong Kong, mm-hmm. you know, Taiwan, Singapore, um, you know, having a pet doesn't really take up much space and it's a companion for, you know, a good portion of your life. You know, it gives you some feeling of companionship. So I think as much as it feels like pets depend on us, we also depend on pets a lot. And because of that doting, you know, dependency that humans have, we also are starting to, you know, we want to do better for our pets. So the encouraging trend that we're seeing is that people are starting to be a little bit more realistic about the budget they have to set aside for uh, keeping their pets healthy. And they're not just thinking, you know what, I'm gonna sting on food and, you know, just hope for the best. Or they're just not going for the most bargain basement food out there. They are actually thinking, what can I do better? You know, or why is this, you know, going wrong with my pet? Like the same journey I had with QB. And uh, the encouraging trend is that people are more receptive now and there's a lot of variety of material, information or otherwise, um, out there on the different diets available. The bad point is is that because there's so much variety and optionality and different views out there and everyone's weighing in on that opinion, everybody's an expert Mm -hmm. and everybody has got a different idea on how should be done.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I do agree that there is no one set way of feeding a pet. Like I said earlier, uh, diets do need to be tailored for every pet right. breed, life stage. Um, but there's just so much marketing propaganda out there by other pet food companies, by you know forum admins, by. Other participants, other pet owners, everyone's got their own view on what works and what mm-hmm. doesn't, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's correct by accident, or sometimes it's wrong by accident. Right. Um, the other trend that I'm seeing is that you know is very parallel with humans is that increasingly, all of us when we go shopping now for food, what's the first thing we do to differentiate whether product A is better than product B? We will flip it around and look at the ingredients. Right. And I think the standards of food, uh, in general, are escalating, uh, is is, is improving in the world and, you know, just as we would maybe look at ingredients for what goes into baby food now and we scrutinize it even more closely, we would try to understand that more for for, uh, pets as well.
2: Mm.
0: And on a macro scale of my life, you know, where I said that I think that if you prevail with the truth and you do something honest and, you know, it is generating something of value, good value, you will prevail in the end. And similarly, I see this shift, you know, even in the time that Bomb, Bomb has existed, you know, I have seen the shift in mindset from people who perceive that, you know, feeding kibbles and all that is... The, the the end all and be all for pet nutrition. To now they've gone, they've started asking the right questions. Like, actually, no, it's not. What is so good about feeding a biscuit, or what is so right about feeding processed foods the whole time? Right. So I think the right, the, the the, it's good that people are questioning things more now, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it, I think it it it's uh, signalling a change in the mindset of owners. The trouble is, where are they going to get the answers from? Yeah. You know, so our major challenge is, you know, if we didn't get to those owners first, well, then we have to make sure that they find out somehow that our uh, research prevails over, over others which do not have substantiated research or regurgitated research, which is just, you know, may not be substantiated.
1: Right.
0: You know. So, um,
1: the logical question to ask for, for for like based on what you just mentioned is that for those who are not customers of Bombom or are not ready to be Bombom customers just yet, mm. are not pet owners themselves, they have a pet dog or pet cat, what would be the first thing that you advise them to do with regards to their pet nutrition?
0: Well that's one of the follies of human nature right? So many pet owners, they will look at their pets and go, I don't need to change their food, there's nothing wrong with them. Mm. It's like what my mom said, there's right. nothing wrong with our dogs. But so human nature is such that if it ain't broke, don't fix it, yeah. right? So if your pet isn't vomiting blood or shitting blood or, or you know, um, losing fur or super itchy or not displaying any, you know, physical symptoms or discomfort they'll just think, oh, my pet's doing fine. Mm. And when they start to deteriorate, they just say, oh, that's a function of age. You know, or that's just the breed or he's just genetically not well-endowed, you know. So there are many excuses that humans can give. But one of the main challenges I see is that if there isn't something visibly wrong with the pet to that owner, they won't make that change, right? But, you know, for me... I have a problem too that when I go walking in the botanic gardens or I walk, you know, in the parks or I see a dog, I can see exactly what's wrong with them, whether it's joint deficiency, protein deficiency, vitamin deficiency. And you can tell all these things just by looking at a dog just like you would. You can look at a human being and tell that they're arthritic or if they have alopecia or, um, you know, some sort of skin disease or rash. It's very visible, but humans tend to ignore some of these, Symptoms, mm. but actually, all the while our pets are giving us these signals mm. and we are not picking up on it, right? Yeah, and it's
1: interesting, right? Because if it's, if it, I, I don't know if you share the same observation as well like, when it comes to you know, parents, their own children, mm. they, they, they wouldn't say that it's genetic or, or they would like would like investigate into the whole nutrition thing,
0: yeah. And it's, this is what I say, right? So, um human logic is perverted when it comes to our pets or trans, you know, transposing that same logic to our pets because they are different species. Right. So humans, you know, strangely, they start to feed their pets more like human beings, but yet dogs can't digest our human ratios or, or nutrients like humans do. Yeah. And at the same time, you know, with our own babies, our babies can't talk just like pets. The first thing that parents do to see if their baby is digesting things well or has allergies is to look at the poo in the diaper. But as we grow up as humans, we stop looking at our own poo as well. And that is really important. And I also learned a lot of things in this field of pet nutrition because I started to change my own diet and started to question my own eating styles mm-hmm. and and habits. And I saw my own health improve, you know. Um, so. I think there was huge benefits for this, um, but I'm still seeing really warped logic out there, like, um, uh, uh, you know, if pet owners, uh, if, if, if human beings are looking at their own baby's poo, why are they not looking at their own pet's poo for cues, mm. visual cues on their internal gut health?
2: Mm.
0: You know, like how I did, you know, it, it's just a simple line of question, like, is it normal for my dog to poo four to six times a day? Yeah. And coming back to that misleading information it's really difficult because when you do google you know puppy pooing a lot everyone's puppy poos a lot yeah but that is not because it's normal it is because they are feeding their pets inappropriately with this formulated puppy food mm. which is yeah it's not very appropriate
2: yeah
1: yeah but yeah based on what you say it, it, it's it's very interesting to actually see that trend that, mm. that uh, disconnect yeah between uh, you know how People treat their own children versus how they actually treat their own pets. Yeah, which is why um, I I think everything just kind of fall into place for both of us as well. Even though we are not pet owners yet, aspiring ones, mm. um, we have always had been so concerned. If like, what if we are not ready? Do, do you do you think that there will be a like for a couple or like, aspiring pet owners? What advice will you give? Like, uh, what are the cues or what are the what are the at, at at which point do you think that um, pet owners aspiring pet owners can tell themselves you are ready mm. to 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 adopt a pet or anything like that?
0: So I think I'm kind of unconventional too, right? Yeah. So you always, I'm sure everybody everybody has those friends like oh have a baby it'll make your relationship yeah. better. I on the other hand think that's terrible advice. Unfortunately, I have some very good friends you know who always told me you know if your own relationship is not stable, don't have a kid, whatever. But um, I think with the area of pet ownership, it's Mm. kind of similar. You know, it's not about, you know, if someone tells you, oh, you'll never be ready to own a pet. That's rubbish, right? You have to understand there are different species, and you have to understand them before they come. You welcome them into your home. You know, and a lot of, for example, if a dog pees in the house or poos in the house, is it their fault or is it your fault? And the common reaction for a lot of owners is to beat the dog or the cat, you know, or to punish, mm. you know, negative conditioning, you know, for the pet. Yeah. But the pet doesn't, can't tell what is toilet and what it's not, yeah. you know, you gotta condition it. So actually we have to think that pets are living in our human world. They don't know that a car can kill, right? But if we let them go off leash and they dash out, they're gonna pay the ultimate price and you will never forgive yourself for it Mm. and it's our responsibility as guardians of these furry species to let them know what is okay and what's not Mm. and that's a lifelong commitment so my advice to people is if you're ready to walk your dog or you know uh, look after your cat or dog when it's inconvenient to do so let's say you're rushing for dinner or you have got this really important business meeting but yet you've got a starving cat or you've got a starving dog who's fussy too and you've got a dilly-dally, you've got to wash up their dog bowl or cat bowl after feeding them. You know, you have to think about the absolute worst and most inconvenient thing you have to do for that living thing, even when it doesn't suit you, mm. you know, and or even like if it's monsoon season and your dog refuses to pee or poo in the house and they will only pee or poo outside like my fussy Shibas, right? Come rain or shine, you still have to go out you still have to get drenched. Mm. You still have to shower your dogs after that, you still have to dry them, and that's very time consuming. Mm. So I think instead of focusing on all the really attractive things about owning a pet, like it's cute, it's cuddly, it's, it, you know, it's gonna provide, provide you with yeah. companionship, love and all that, or a play partner, or like I want my kid to grow up with a pet, yes. all these glorif- glorified, um, attractive ideas about owning a pet, I would ask yourself about all the less convenient and less attractive aspects of owning a pet first
1: Mm. Mm. yeah it's more like are you willing to sacrifice sacrifice yeah sacrifices right yeah exactly not sure if you are ready but I feel that we are very lucky to know people like yourself and and I mean we feel more ready than previously I I, I guess because like we know kind of um, what entails right
0: yeah Yeah. look everyone has a different style of raising their children Mm. different style of raising their pets you know i'm not going to tell people how to raise their pets you know um and people might even take offense to that and you see that's what i love love about animals animals, is that no matter how how badly or well you raise them they will always love you the same right uh they will they won't resent you mm. they will just think my, my mommy is the best. <laughs> you know, they'll give you that look. And, you know, they will, they will die from cancer and they, they will suffer from, you know, afflictions and they will never blame you for one minute. They'll just continue loving you the best that they can. Yeah. You, can you can score them one minute and they'll still come home and make you, uh, when you come home, they make you feel that home is the best place to be. You know, know so that's what I love about animals and, animals and that's why I feel that I need to do something for them now. Right, if I don't, yes, there's other animal lovers out there, there's a lot um but are they can they really make a difference to the world, maybe to their own pet, yeah, maybe to a few other pets, yes, but I'm really thinking big, you know, and i'm I think whatever I do in my life, I don't want to do by half measures,
2: mm.
0: and with that, there's always going to be a minority of people who disagree with you and don't like what you're doing Mm. or maybe even be jealous I don't know but what matters is that you know I'm tremendously happy when I look at my own two dogs now QB and Hanako Mm. they tell me they're happy and healthy and I can see that you know and it's very comforting when you can troubleshoot your own problems Mm. and I'm trying to teach pet owners to do the same and empower them Mm. to read these cues and signals for health much better you know, at the end of the day, we, you know, pets' lives on earth is just way too short. Yes. You know, living 10 to 20 years, we want them to go to 20, 30, you know. And based on my idea of, of longevity, I feel that cats should really be living to 25 and dogs should be living to 20 plus. Wow. Yeah. But of course Patient genetics… such yeah, it's possible to do that? I think so. You know, I oh. think genetics does play a huge part. So you will always have people saying, hey, I fed my dog kibbles my whole life and he lived to 20 plus. So it can't be the food, right? But it's like saying, I was given good genetics, so I'm just going to smoke cigarettes every day. So what's saying that if you didn't feed your dog appropriately or well, or cat well, what's yes. saying that they you couldn't have extended their life by another one to two years? And in their twilight years, their, their uh, vitality would have been even better, mm. you know, seeing An animal in its twilight years or even in its twilight days is the most saddening experience. You know, when they can't walk anymore, when they can't run to the door to greet you, when they can't even eat their food properly, you know, or they lose their appetite and food is such a big deal for pets, it's such a highlight of their day. Or they just become incontinent or they just start messing themselves up with pee and poo. They have their pride and dignity too. And having owned many pets, you see that. And it's something that I would want to postpone for as long as possible and for them to go peacefully. Right. And not just that, but also, you know, just to give them a fair life. You know, they give us everything, we, they live for us. Mm-hmm. Why shouldn't we give them something back? Makes sense. And since food is such a big part of their lives, that's the best way you can show them your love.
1: Yeah. So, so Bambang has a very long term end goal, but what is like? you guys most focused on at this point of time? Is there anything?
0: Well, BombBomb, you know, it's a three-year-old company and even though we're still growing aggressively and it's, uh, you know, sometimes to the point we can't handle it and we're hiring more people,
2: mm.
0: I think maintaining quality throughout the expansion is very important.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I think also furthering, uh, you know, while keeping an eye on quality and consistency is important, but also you have to think about how to push the frontiers more, you know, so I think, you know, I would love to delve more into R&D, you know, having a proper full lab. You know, right now I'm doing a little bit of testing in our facility, you know, on, on, on ingredients and uh, coming out with, you know, improved formulations. But I would really like to rope in, you know, more scientists into what we're doing and uh, bring a more academic approach into what we're doing And also just to bring on board approval from more people in the veterinary industry and it's sad that, you know, it's quite entrenched in a lot of traditional vets that prescription kibble sometimes is the best way to go when I just can't see any reason for it. You know, kibbles, I believe there is a space for kibbles. You know, if your dog has some terrible affliction that prevents it from eating every protein under the sun, and you just need to give it some sustenance, maybe there's a space for that, right? Or like if we, you know, if we ever hit World War III and given how this year started out, you never know.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah. But we're not in World War III. We're not in the Great Depression. We're not in World War or One. And kibble was invented in the 1850s. It saw us through two World Wars and the Great Depression. It served its purpose. Mm. But we're in peacetime. And, you know, when we have a problem with Excess livestock, mm-hmm. you know, there is so much food wastage, you know, our pets, when they could be eating better, they're actually eating things that are completely inappropriate for them. It's just misallocation. and This is where the whole economics of the food industry is so wrong. You know, and we just like, you know, uh, the human green industry, we, are, we would push for more ethical farming. You know, we would only support ethical farmers. And people who you know like us push the frontiers of food science and the betterment of, mm. of nutrition mm. or hygiene You know, yeah so would you say that how, how, how does your day-to-day
1: life at work looks like right now are you spending most of the time doing the research behind the lab or?
0: okay well I've never been a guy who has very structured right okay. my days never look the same okay right day one and day two would never look the same even when I was trading or whatever because you just don't know what news is going to be thrown your way. Yeah. And uh, you know with Bomb, Bomb we meet different clients every day, right. difficult or easy or or traditional or what. But, but a yeah, natural habitat, is it doing the research or...? Yeah, I mean look, the research is ongoing. Yeah. You know, I don't read storybooks or fiction. Yeah, of course. I read nutrition. I read papers. I read um, and I talk to, you know, uh, people of science. and. I do really inane things like, uh, you know, experiment with pieces of meat and whatnot in my book, in my kitchen, you know, or in the facility. It's like I said, it's a passion. I just don't know where it ends and when it stops, mm. uh, when it ends and when it starts because mm. it's just ongoing for me every day. Mm. I live and breathe it now. Um, but what is changing is that I think the business has a need, you know, it's growing. I need to look after, you know, our employees too. I also need to make sure that our clients are getting the care that they need so the problem with a growing clientele is that you might neglect some of your clients who are you know in the background they're doing okay but you know they might start to feel neglected and i feel that i don't want to lose touch of that you know like um i feel that I can't say that BombBomb is a successful business, right? I don't think I could ever say it's a, bomb, it's a successful business, whether it's a billion-dollar business or not. You know, it, you never stop repainting that bridge, like I said. But, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, you need to keep... It, you, it's important not to be complacent. And you need to ask yourself, what can you do better in which area? And trust me, there will always be complaints. But when people complain about something, you should take it as important feedback on what could I do better Mm -hmm. and if there's a trend on you know a cluster of the same kind of complaint then you know there's something I have to change with with the business and trust me there will always be that so you always have to evolve the business and when even when things are you know peachy and all customers are happy which is very rare you know um you have to uh, ask yourself what can I do better what's the next step you know and there's always something it's like playing whack-a-mole. If it's not dealing with clients, you know, it's about you know, um, progressing or advancing our, our formulae or, or having more product offerings out there. And when you offer more products, how are you going to procure that? You know, you want to work with the best suppliers. There's always going to be something. Yeah, always going to be something.
1: Cool. Yeah. Cool. Okay, that's the end of the you know uh, more serious stock questions. Uh round. Uh, we are going to our usual rapid fire-ish questions. I say okay. rapid fire-ish because sometimes I get a bit too carried away and I'm just very curious. And I like to actually usually let my guests elaborate a little bit more. Okay. So first question I have is uh, when did your love for Shiba Inu start?
0: I think even before I owned a Shiba Inu. They're so full of character. I mean, it's hard not to love that face. Okay. You know, they have a natural smiling face. They're so cheeky. Uh, but, you know, for me, they're a nice size of dog. You know, they're not too overwhelmingly big and right. they're not really too tiny that I could accidentally step on them. But I think most importantly, they, they're really full of character. Yeah, probably... I wasn't too aware of the breed until like maybe two years before I had QB. So when you went to the uh, breeder, mm. you...
1: Uh, uh, you mentioned that you, your wife and I were not deciding to have a puppy that day to mm-hmm. to, 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 to go home with a puppy that day but you already knew that there was a Shiba there yeah
0: okay. so you were yeah it was a Shiba breeder okay so it just we kind of... had already done our research on what kind of dogs you know we liked but uh, yeah we had no idea that they would change our lives forever <laughs>
1: <laughs> would, yeah. would you Would you have considered Akita Inu if it wasn't banned in Singapore?
0: Absolutely. Although I prefer the look of a Shiba. Okay. Yeah. And I think, uh, well, someone who I met along my, you know, dog food journey, you know, Caesar Milan, you know, we met recently as well. Mm. He told me a lot of people, they end up getting dogs that are not, that do not match their energy level. Oh. So I would say to people in your earlier question, like, you know, are you ready to get a pet? Also, the type of pet you get is very important. And I think Shibas match my energy level perfectly. Mm. You know, I've had people say that QB even smiles like me or behaves like me. He is like a doggy manifestation of me. (laughs) So, as much as they imprint on us, we also imprint on them and vice versa. I think uh, uh, you have to get one that matches your energy level. And I feel that me being a moderate energy level person, if I got a big dog, can I really afford the energy to be walking them? As often as they need to, you, you know, see. like size and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So for me, the Shiba you know is perfect in terms of size, lifestyle. They're lazy little bastards as well, they don't like to wake up early. <laughs> so it's great. I mean, and they're, f- they're so cheeky. Yeah. yeah. So
1: Oh yeah. Uh, that, that 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 reminds me. What do you think about Mami Shiba?
0: I your observations. I mean, Well, you see, that's the thing. Mame Shibas are basically just small Shibas. Mm. And they're small Shibas bred with other small Shibas to produce even smaller Shibas. Yeah. The the reason why I'm asking is because we have
1: very little knowledge in this. Yeah. We obviously liked the size. Yes. Um, We love the idea of having them. uh, But we're not sure whether they are ethical.
0: Well, I mean, you can get healthy Mame Shibas. But at the same time... um, it depends what was bred with another to get that to get where they are today Mm. right so obviously to get a Mameshiba the prerogative is to have small size and if you and obviously if you breed two small size dogs it's very likely that one of them was the runt of the litter and the runts usually have worse health than the other uh, dogs so if you keep perpetuating that kind of breeding you know health is probably not going to be one of the dog's strong points Mm. you know um but of course, you know, with very judicious breeding, as with any breed, you can get healthy mame shibas too. Have you dealt with any mame shibas in Singapore? Yeah, we have a couple on our roster, okay. and uh, I've seen a few myself. But I just want to differentiate that you can get a small Shiba, and they're they're not they will be thought to be a, they will uh, they look like a mame Shiba, but it's actually just a small standard size Shiba. Oh, okay. and I. Believe those are better than true mame mame shibas that are like chihuahua size. They literally are like three, four kilo shibas. Whereas a normal male shiba would be anywhere between 10 to 12 kilos ish. A female shiba would be, you know, between eight to 10 kilos. Mm. So you can see like how much smaller, but you can get somewhere in between, like just a small standard shiba, like, you know, it's just uh, they're just smaller slightly, but not because of deliberate breeding. You know, there'll be maybe six kilos kind of size. Okay, yeah, cool. Uh, <clears throat> oh, next question.
1: Uh, before QB and Hanako were named QB and Hanako, what were the names you were considering? Well, QB was uh so for context, QB based on what Vincent told, told me, QB actually meant a nine-tailed fox. That's right. From Naruto, right? Yeah. So I was a huge
0: anime <laughs> yes. fan, a huge Naruto fan. Yeah. I've watched it for like 10, 15 years of my life. Okay. And, uh, you know, when you get a Shiba, the first thing that comes to your mind is, oh, this thing looks like a little fox, right? <laughs> yes. So you think, what is fox? And you don't want to call it kitsune, which means fox oh, yeah. in Japanese. It's very generic. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I liked the reference to QB because QB in the cartoons was very, he was a strong character, yet he was very cheeky. Okay. Um, and it has parallels with Wu Lei Jing as well, you know, in, in Chinese belief. So, either way, there's a lot of cheekiness in that. And yeah. when I first met QB, he was certainly that, he exuded that cheekiness to him. Small chili party. Uh, he wasn't that much of a chili party. Yeah, I mean, all Shibas are a little bit chili party, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, I like QB because, first of all, I like unique names. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to call them spot or raches right. right. or like furball or cuddles What are, some are the names that you recall that you were considering? Uh, with QB, I think... I always wanted to have a beagle actually. A beagle called Bagel and a cat called <laughs> Tofu for some reason. Tofu? <laughs> for some reason, I don't know. I want to get a cat and dog together. But right. um, to be honest, we drew a blank uh, when it came to QB. So when he first... before he came back and we saw him, a few times at the breeders, we just didn't know what to call him. We we're just like here, yeah. you know. Like so we did, he didn't have a name, so QB really didn't have a name, right? Uh, Hanako, we went through many iterations of names because we wanted to be consistent with the Naruto theme. Okay, but we thought it would be really contrived if we called her Hinata or like uh, right. Sakura or something like that. And you know, we were like, we want to have a, a name that is, you know, not more than two syllables mm. which is dumb because we end up with Hanako which is three, <laughs> three syllables <laughs> yes. because in my opinion or, or from what I understand yeah. dogs don't understand long names very well they right. only hear the last part of their name right so I like QB because it sounds a bit like QT QB yes. you know I like that yeah. with Hanako I was really stuck because we got her when she was older already and at the breeder her name was Hanako so oh. I didn't want to change her name because she may not understand right. you know being called something else and Uh, it was either gonna be a name that reflected the way she looked. so her fur was actually a lot lighter than other Shibas whether it was because of nutritional deficiency or genetics Um, so I wanted to name something along the lines of sunshine or something like that but I couldn't find a Japanese uh, name that was appropriate Mm -hmm. and I felt I had to be Japanese to be consistent with QB right you can't name you know, QBQB and then your female dog Dolores, you know, it just wouldn't sound right or consistent. <laughs> right. So uh, it had to be consistent, but makes sense. eventually we just ran out of names that yeah. we could call yeah. Hanako and yeah. we just said, you know, it just stuck, you know, and she responded to it. So it's like, okay, Hanako is amazing.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's it. All right.
1: Next question. Um, morning walks and evening walks, which do you enjoy more?
0: um mm, i'll be very honest i'm a right. lazy git okay so <laughs> uh initially the walking was my favorite so uh thank god michelle you know my wife helped yeah. me out with that um but now we take turns so uh you know and you know we take we we take responsibilities you know walking but right. i I'm, I'm used to doing the morning walk anyway uh, okay yeah but you know we take turns depending on each other's schedules. That's cool. Um, What do they do
1: that make you melt the most?
0: Every time I come home it's the airplane ears. So Shibas have this trademark airplane ears and they squint their eyes really small and they give this huge grin and they always (laughs) present you with a gift as well and they'll run around with their onion ring tails wagging back and forth. It's just the most comical thing you've ever seen. But What, what do they usually bring to you? Usually, they're toys. (laughs) They they will die, die, go and find one of their toys to bring to you. And the bigger the toy, the better. Like, uh, and we have this joke that QB has favoritism because he brings me the biggest toys or (laughs) whatever. And everyone else gets small toys. But uh, uh, the other heart-melting thing they do is that actually their vocabulary is surprisingly good. Like, because, you know, QB has been with me since he was young he has picked up a lot of words that I use. So he knows people's names around the house and he knows wow. other pet names of his friends, etc. Wow. Uh, so when we say other dogs' names, he, he would look up and then he would go to the door expecting to see them at the door. Oh. Or if I say shower time, the little wretch would run up to my shower and just sit in the shower to hog it, to prevent me from going in and he <laughs> wants to like play with water. So he enjoys showering. Yeah, and he can differentiate between what is a toy, what is a frisbee and what is a ball. Um, And he just, I never taught him, he just picked it up himself. So cool. It's really shocking and also both our dogs speak to us. They, Shibas are notorious for their Shiba scream when they are under duress. But a lot of people don't realise that Shibas are very vocal creatures and they actually talk to you a lot too, Mm. you know. Um, And we accidentally discovered it when we whistled to QB and he howled back to us like a wolf. And a very, not a cacophony, you know, but a very melodic howl, very controlled howl. And if we do a soft whistle, short one, he'll do a short, soft howl. And if if you do a loud, long held note, he will also hold the same note. (laughs) It's crazy. I mean like, (laughs) so so, yeah, you know, with dogs, I believe, or cats, the more time you spend with your pet, the more you get to know them, the more they get to know you, and the more like you have better interactions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, any pet really, I mean, yeah the more love you give the more love you get it's nice yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay
1: so you mentioned a little bit that um, you know uh, your two lovely Shiba Inus actually take a little bit of your personality yep unfortunately so, for them so a lot of people actually say that you know the, the pet owners actually take the personality of the dogs or right. the dogs take the personality of their of the pet owners mm. which one do you think you are more of they take
0: a person- personality of-, of, yours. Yeah, QB has definitely imprinted on me. Okay, definitely. Yeah, uh, for better or for worse. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he really revolves his life around me, and he 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 has been conditioned to, you know, do a lot of things not by my design, but mm-hmm. you know, of his own volition to do things that I do. He knows my habits, so like. You know, he'll sit with me when I finish my meal. After I, you know, I put the dishes in the sink, whatever, he would know that's time to get up and you go up. You know, or the minute I I switch off the bedroom lights at night, he would just immediately go to bed and sleep. So they know cues, you know, like they would revolve around your lifestyle. Very much. How how did that change when Hanako was introduced to the family? Well, Hanako was brought in because I started to feel guilty that... um, should is still a dog at the end of the day and he needs to have dog-like interaction too. And Shiba's, being very pack-oriented dogs, you know, do enjoy the company of their own kind too. Mm. So that's when my quest for Hanako came and I searched far and wide and I found a very very good reputable and uh, uh, ethical breeder in Japan. You know, lovely space. You know, you had a big countryside space and the dogs ran free. They were never in cages. And uh, when I first met Hanako, she had that same kind of independent character as Qb. Like, she would be the one playing by herself, away from the pack. She was much calmer. She was submissive. So I knew that if she came in, there wouldn't be a clash of characters. And true enough, when she came home the first time, Qb just, like, took her under his wing. She was so shy and timid. She didn't even want to sleep on the beds. She didn't even want to play with his toys. Uh, She always ate like a beast, though, so there was no compromise in that. But... (laughs) It was really heartening to see that QB would cajole her into playing and cajole her to coming up to the bed, and he really started to, uh, you know, make her his wifey kind of wow. thing. But at Is the he, same time, undesirable, possessive. Yeah, the undesirable <laughs> trait came about. He became very protective of her, and he started to display some aggression to other dogs and other. Uh, Humans too, actually, strangers that he's not familiar with. So it's something we're working with with one of our, you know, trainers, one of Caesar's trainers, actually, in Singapore, and uh, you know, it's it's getting good results. But like I said, you know, it's a lifelong commitment, you know, mm-hmm. to to live with a pet. You right. know, their behavior is never going to be hundred percent. Right. And any owner that thinks that their dog is perfect and has no issues, well, <laughs> they're bluffing you. <laughs> yeah. Okay.
1: So. So even though you actually mentioned, we, we, we actually laughed about it just now, but I just want for this podcast. Mm-hmm. So I hear that your, many of your clients call you the dog father. Right. <laughs> you that start and explain yourself. <laughs> well,
0: I didn't come up with the, the dog but... father. That's like the best line. Yeah, the, so we started off feeding quite a lot of Shibas, and, you know, being part of the Shiba, um, a Shiba group. Um, the word got around that was this guy who was very in touch with, with you know, what, their pets needed, and when I started BombBomb, Bomb, I would go and visit every single one of our clients. Yeah. And it was funny because when I visited some of these clients, the dogs would always do something very unique that their owners had never seen before. So their, their owners were like, he must be trying to communicate with you or talk to you. And, and uh, I had dogs, you know, start howling, trying to communicate with yeah. me. There were dogs that started peeing on me. This happened many times, oh, I became their property. Uh, there were many dogs that You know, who were very particular or, you know, didn't like strangers, but they were okay with me. And I think that is due to my upbringing. I knew how to approach dogs. You know, I I didn't intrude on their space and I was respectful of them and their owners. And I think owners felt comfortable with that. And because of what I did for their pets, and I guess they saw how passionate I was about, you know, the welfare of their pets. One client said one day, you know, you are like the dog father, and it became a joke inside our chat room. And yeah, because
1: like, because I just imagine like a poster of you in the middle, and then you're surrounded by the dogs, like you
0: know. Yeah, like, so like the Godfather movie poster, something like that. <laughs> uh, I actually have a T-shirt that is just like that, but um, that says the dog father. Yes, it's one amazing you just like, bought it. You me. have to show me one day. Yeah. So it's quite funny, it's modelled after the Godfather, you know, Ooh. with the puppet thing, but at the end of the puppet strings is a Shiba. So that's what I love about it. Nice. It's very apt. And uh, <laughs> it's funny, at first I thought it was a little bit, uh, not insulting, but I thought it was like, what? You know, it's like you just say what, but you know, you wear, I wore it proudly like a badge, yeah. you know. I, I, it's nice. I jokingly tell to everyone that my career has gone to the dogs now, and uh, I'm very proud of that. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So um,
1: so just like parents with children, although they always say that you know they love all their children. Yeah. I'm sure you have a favorite too.
0: Don't make me do this. <laughs> <laughs> QB. Yeah he is, he is. So I always say that you know QB is my boy <laughs> okay. but uh, Hanako was for QB. You know. So, so uh, sweet. But you know in terms of love you know I love them equally. I mean, Hanako has a lot of good traits. Yeah, <clears throat> she home would not be the same without Hanako. You know, Qb would not be the same without Hanako. Mm-hmm. So she's a very integral part of our lives, and I love her to bits. She is so sweet, and I honestly don't think that would be another dog that could uh, fit into our lives as as neatly as she had. And uh, yeah, I. No favoritism. <laughs> they both get fed the same All good right. stuff. Right. They both get the same love, but of course, uh, QB has a special place because he's the one who really changed everything for me. Right? Yeah. So that's the end of
1: the rapid fire-ish questions. Um, and the, the last part, I, I just want to actually you know leave the stage to you. Uh, more of like, is there any parting shots, food for thought that you want to actually leave the audience with?
0: Yeah and I think um, as pet owners or prospective pet owners out there, mm. I think the one key thing is I want to remind people is that your pets don't have a voice mm. and uh, you are their guardians. So if you, know, you do make any decisions for your pets, make sure it's well researched. Don't just take someone else's word for it. You know, speak to professionals. Question the professionals question yourself, you know, and, uh, you know, ask, does it make sense what you're doing? You know, at the end of the day, this is a living creature and it depends wholly on your decision-making, you know, and a single decision can either save a pet's life or it can make it worse. Mm. So, um, yeah, don't be flippant about that because, and don't be under the illusion that if you feed cheaper, you're gonna be, you know, uh, you know, allocating a smaller budget to your pet because Mm. there are no shortcuts to this. Mm. If you do feed inferior or species-inappropriate items that, you know, there's no shortcuts. Your pet will deteriorate in health and you'll end up paying larger vet bills for it anyway, eventually, in some Mm. shape or form. Or the worst cost of all is a shorter life. So for me, don't take shortcuts in nutrition and, uh, you know, think logically. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: for any of them where she want to reach out to you, where where where, where do you, where can they reach out to you?
0: Yeah. So you know we have an open door you know policy. Uh, even though I'm the owner of BombBomb, mm. people have access to me. I'm still the nutritionist for Bomb. Right. Uh, certified nutritionist. Right. You know we do work with vets around Singapore as well. Uh, when they have problems that they can't solve, um, they come to us. You know, and we work very closely with the vets. So it, it's not saying you know it's us versus the vets. We look we work alongside the vets to get the best results for owners Mm. and if people want to find us uh, our website is Mm www.bombomb.com silly name people not gonna forget bombomb.com and uh, we have a chat function there 24 7 that Mm. you know serves our customers serves all our prospective clients if they have any questions about their pets ailments or you know nutrition that needs answering we're always there our team is very committed to that right
1: and uh, for those of you who are curious about QBs yeah, QB and Hanako
0: photos and videos. Your um, Instagram yeah. account is yeah. currently right now, yes. before we change the handle, if there's a need to change the yes. handle, it's QB. K-Y-U-B-I Triple Three Family. Yeah, so it's three 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 Family, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's
1: K-Y-U-B-I-333 Family. Yeah. That's it, it's a very long name. I know. <laughs> I know. Well before Hanako came along, it's just QB triple three. Now it's like family to be correct. Let's go. Yeah. Cool. So thank you so much, uh, Jason. It was a really, really lovely conversation uh, with you on this podcast. I think it was very valuable, and there were actually some tough questions. And I know probably a lot of them are all over the place, but because like you know, I, I, I just think it was actually very valuable, and, and I think a lot of our audience will actually get a lot of value out of it so as well. Too. Both um, the perspective of the, you know as being a pet owner or even like trying to you know figure themselves out, um, you know. Doing what they love and how to actually make that sustainable for the long run. Mm. Thank you so much, uh, Jason. Very welcome. Very lovely podcast with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, See you guys in the next podcast. Bye bye.